From Good Travel and New Zealand Awaits, we're Josie Major and Debbie Clark. Welcome to Good Awaits, the Regenerative Tourism New Zealand podcast. Under the shadow of the global pandemic and climate crisis, tourism is facing enormous uncertainty and returning to business as usual is no longer an option. Our people and planet are relying on us to reconnect and reimagine. The Good Awaits podcast is a platform for the collective discovery of a new way forward. It's great to have you join us on this journey. Kia listeners, call Debbie Toko Ingoa. I'm Debbie Clark, founder and owner of New Zealand Awaits. Kia ora, call Josie Toko Ingoa. I'm Josie Major, New Zealand Programs Manager for Good Travel. And Josie and I are so excited to welcome you to our very first episode of the Good Awaits podcast, aren't we Josie? Yes, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are very excited to share this episode with you in which we had a wonderful conversation with Anna Pollock. Anna Pollock is the founder of Conscious Travel and has 48 years experience in tourism as an independent consultant, strategist, international speaker and change agent. She is an acclaimed thought leader in the emerging field of regenerative tourism. And her work has spanned decades and continents. Her strength is her ability to see the big picture, to ask difficult questions, and to help others make sense of their rapidly and dramatically changing world. Since 2010, Anna has focused on investigating emergent alternative models for the tourism sector that would enable it to shift from extraction to regeneration. She has done extensive work in New Zealand with Tourism Bay of Plenty's Regenerative Tourism Plan. She worked on the Tourism Futures Task Force, the only non-New Zealander, and most recently in an online course with Michelle Holiday that she's led for seven regional tourism organizations designed to enable destinations to understand and apply regenerative principles. We're extremely grateful to Anna for the time she gave us, especially considering it was close to 11 p.m. in the UK, her time. So it was a very thoughtful and relaxed conversation. And I was particularly struck that she shared how her thinking uh, has changed and evolved over her career and how she was quite impacted back in the 70s by Indigenous wisdom and how that shaped her thinking. Yeah, she had a lot of really incredible insights to share and, and really highlighted for me the importance of this paradigm shift that we're talking about. And she also talked in a hopeful way about New Zealand's future for tourism. So we really hope that you find this episode enlivening and that it sparks conversations for you and your community. And we invite you to consciously listen and engage with what resonates with you. Kia ora, Anna. It is an absolute pleasure and an honour to have you on our first podcast. So we're delighted to welcome you to the show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm honoured too and uh, wishing you every success with this project. Thank Thank you so much. So, you know, this is a conversation about regenerative tourism and travel Mm -hmm. in general. So we thought it would be really nice to start off with learning a little bit more about an early travel experience that you had that was impactful or transformational? Well, I was thinking about that question, obviously. Yeah, my ripe old age, I think I've got quite a few of them. <laughs> I was fortunate to to start traveling really young. My parents put me on a train in Victoria Station in London, and I had to make it all the way across to southern Germany, one Easter wow. holiday. 
And at 17, I went off to uh, Northern Labrador in Canada to on a year voluntary service overseas. So I wow. spent that uh, in a tiny little village, uh, 800, no, 300 people and no, no communication, nothing for, for a year. So that had a big impact on me. Yeah, I think the biggest transformative experience was later when, after I'd been in New Zealand for a while, uh, my fiancé and I travelled back through Asia, and this would have been 1973, and we uh, we stopped in Bali, and there were only 5,000 tourists in Bali in the whole year. And I remember standing, you know, on the beach at Kuta, discussing it with a Balinese who was at MIT, saying, he asked us, what do you think we could do with this tourism thing? Amazing, isn't it? (laughs) But the transformative experience came from from just being immersed in the culture and suddenly seeing that there were other ways of seeing the world. I mean, seeing people in trance and experiencing that whole different perspective. That's really was the transformative moment for me because I suddenly realized that everything I've been taught in my, you know, very middle-class, white middle-class English grammar school was only a small smidgen of reality. (laughs) One lens of perspective, right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a transformative experience just being there. I wish we'd stayed, actually. But we didn't. We kept on going, uh, not knowing that it was probably the peak of the whole trip. That first realisation that your world is not the whole world is can be so transformative. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And that people talk about it, you know, we go to have our worldviews changed. Well, I wasn't, didn't have that expectation, but I certainly had the experience. Yeah, well, and and then obviously since then you've had an amazing, very impressive career in in this industry. So we're interested to to learn a little bit about how you got to the way of thinking that you have now, mm. in just travel and, and regenerative travel. Obviously, that experience of your eyes being open to the world is a is a starting point. But how did your thinking evolve from there in terms of you know the impact of travel or how we could use it for good? Yeah, well, I think I've just, well, first of all, I would say I've been blessed to have been born at, and, and to be traveling at a certain time in, in, in our history where you could travel, even though it was a lot more challenging than it is now. You know, we didn't have any of the, the modern communications. I mean, I was out on the road traveling at the same time as uh, Wheeler was when he wrote, uh, you know, the first guides for his Lonely Planet book. (laughs) Again, I wish I'd done the same. (laughs) (laughs) I've had the same thoughts too. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, so I've been lucky to have travelled when travelling really was exotic. There's no doubt about that. And I look back now over a long period of time, I I just see all these themes and, and this sort of, you know, this spiral movement in your life where, you come back to the same place, but it's not the same place. You know what I mean? It's it, you're seeing things with fresh eyes. But so that experience in in Western in in Labrador was impactful because I I did get a chance to spend some time with with Inuit that had been um, moved down from their village to the village where I was because of a flu epidemic in the 40s, and they'd just been split up and put into cabins and, and treated atrociously. You know, there was a desire to, to be kind, but to give people just a shack and and a, a weekly check and tell them that you can't earn a living the way you used to earn it because you can't hunt and fish where you used to fish. It was, it was, that was really impactful. I saw the, the downside of that. And then I ended up uh, living in Canada 
And so that was just for a year before university. And then I went back later to join my fiance in British Columbia. And I lived there for uh, nearly 20 years. And for the first, you know, large chunk of that time, I was oblivious, really, to what was going on within the indigenous community. And it, you know, it took a while to realize that even in the 70s, they had residential schools still operating when I was there, when children were separated from their parents. It's not atypical for us to be somewhat oblivious, right? If we're, you know, I'm also... No, absolutely. I mean, I had no preparation for that, but I didn't go out seeking it to learn either. But I mean, eventually, of course, the veils are lifted from your... From your eyes, as it were. But uh, I was also very much aware that in I got there in the 70s. And about that time, it was the very beginnings of what can only be called a renaissance. Some younger people were asking really good questions like, you know, what have we lost? And they were had enough elders still uh, alive and well that they could speak to. And so I was watching people literally take reservations and dry them out and and people learning their culture, learning their songs, learning their stories. And, and it was amazing. So I, I it was towards the end of my time in Canada that I, I spent quite a bit of time with the First Nations people. So that whole theme uh, has played really, really heavily and, and strongly in, in my experience. So when I came back to Europe in, uh, when, what year was that? 94, I think it was. Yeah, that's when I started really saying, you know, what what is our worldview? (laughs) You know, and could it be different? And how could we do tourism differently? And so I wrote this paper, Changing Gears, back then in 95. And um, you could argue I've been writing the same paper differently for (laughs) the last 30 years. It's yeah. a bit scary, actually, yeah. because you read stuff you wrote then and you think, well, I'm just repeating myself. <laughs> do you feel like people are listening now with that, that same paper that you've been writing? Do you feel like it's it's getting through? Um, well, the, the whole context is very different now. The, the, you know, And I would say it's, it's only in the last five years that the shift has happened. COVID has definitely accelerated it, but um, even before that. I started thinking seriously about can we come up with an alternative way of doing things. In 95, it, it got buried because I got involved in technology and I spent the next t- 10 years doing tech. But that also was extremely instructive because it was hanging out with people in in the networking business, in, in technology and the internet. Um, really, the light went on and said, you know, tourism is a network. It's not an industry. So these, these are all different, you know, things that go in your head and yeah. ping, the light bill goes yeah. on, as it were, that it's not, it, it, it's, it's just a very dynamic network. And, and the internet was the perfect technology for tourism. And, and tourism and technology in the, in the 90s had a great sort of like a marriage, really, because they fed off each other and are still doing that to a certain extent. But it, the penny hasn't really, still hasn't dropped that we're not an industry. You know, so I went from industry to network and then later on to a living network, a living system. So the answer to your question, Josie, is, yeah, that the, everything is constantly changing. And I don't know exactly what has caused it. I think a lot of the, the new research from the scientific community about how systems work and how living systems work, this whole uh, uh, emergence of this fantastic science called biomimicry, where people are really learning from nature how to build things better. All the work done in quantum physics, you know, all that good, exciting right. stuff. That's right. 
Yeah, and no, I just if people are if people are listening more now, and and you know certainly COVID has had a huge impact around the world, right? Everywhere on all of us on the industry, and you know we have a quote here from Arundhati Roy, and we'll just take a piece of it that you know, historically pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. So, you know, just keen to just hear a little bit more of your thinking about if this is a portal, where are we going? Yes, I love that quote. Well, first of all, uh, there are so many aspects to this. I think it's sort of like a mirror you hold up to see how, who you are and how you see the world, you know. I mean, for some people, uh, COVID is an enemy and you're going to throw everything you can to defeat it. <laughs> uh, for me, it was always a messenger. It was like nature, you know, just nature's way of drawing to our attention that our way of life on the planet is not sustainable, period. Nature always corrects imbalances. I mean, locusts can go and swarm and feed on, you know, hundreds of square miles of land, but they don't last. <laughs> you know, cancer can run rogue in your body, but ultimately it either, you know, kills you and therefore kills itself or is killed. It's just one or the other. I mean, so for me, COVID is a real timely uh, lesson that we are, have to live in harmony with the rest. So it's a portal in the sense that it is, you have to step from one way of seeing and being into another. So you're going to be going through a gateway. You're going to be crossing a chasm. You know, that's the, the metaphor I prefer. It doesn't matter which, but they're all the same. So in, if we don't take advantage of this particular interruption, I mean, I can remember back in when we had the financial crisis, uh, one of my heroes at the time, uh, Don Tapscott, was a, he wrote Wikinomics. You may not have heard of him, but he's a brilliant man. And he, he said, you know, this is a punctuation point between two ways. of. So it was just the beginning, but it was nothing like the pandemic. But it could have had a much deeper uh, impression on us then than it did because it unleashed globalization and we had another 10, 15 years of of uninterrupted growth. If we ignore this one, then the next portal will be less comfortable. Yeah, and so, it is extremely painful for many of us, obviously, in the industry, but I think that's where Josie and I have talked about both companies, you know, my company and Good Travel, we're looking to see what opportunities lie here for us to move forward, even though we've been very conscious on how we've been doing business already, yeah. how, how we move forward in a different way and, and mm -hmm. go even deeper. We have no choice, right? Yeah, well, all being asked to step up, you know, and really question everything. And, and yes, I mean, some of us have, have had this pandemic worse than, worse than others, but I think the, for the vast majority of people, in the Western world, it's been, especially if you've lost someone and, and, and it's affected you personally, I mean, I can't underestimate how awful that would be. Um, but relative to what's beginning to happen in the rest of the world right now, um, we haven't seen the full extent of this yet. So I think that means, you know, we've talked about us in New Zealand being in a unique position. Mm-hmm. Because of the way the pandemic has been handled, I think we are living life quite normally. We talked about the importance of using this opportunity and this pause. And so your course, the online course that we're doing with you mm -hmm. and Michelle 
holiday has provided that, and that is really around regenerative tourism. You know, it's we've talked about it not being another buzzword, but we'd, we would love to hear from you how you would describe what regenerative means, regenerative tourism. It's, mm. you know, it, it, we mm. could sit for three weeks and have this conversation. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I promise you it's okay. I know when to stop. <laughs> well, I think that's... Um... You know, maybe I can start with what it's not. Obviously, I'd hate to think that it's just another buzzword because we don't need buzzwords. They do nothing. Um, It's not an extension of business as usual. People are talking about sustainability was doing less harm, which it was. It was modifying our impact. So the simple way of looking at regeneration is it's doing more good. But that's actually also just as deadly in a way, because it comes from that same mindset that says, well, um, you know, all these people are running around saying I can save the planet by traveling. And I mean, that to me is the most ridiculous proposition I've ever, ever heard. It's not about just modifying or tinkering an existing system. I mean, what what people really are having a tough time with this word and, and this idea is that ultimately it's about systems change at the deepest level. And you know, I quote Einstein all the time because he was a smart guy. And he said, you know, we can't. I almost hate to say it now because everyone uses the quote, but, you know, you cannot solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. And yet we keep on doing that. And so the same thinking that wants to have focus on a problem. OK, and then how do we fix it? All right. Step one, step two, step three, that kind of thinking that analytical, tear it apart, reduce it to its its you know bits that you can understand, and then hope to put them back together again, is what's got us into trouble, because we've not really understood just how much everything is utterly interconnected. So, that, and that's what's making teaching regeneration so difficult, because everyone is in a different um, has a different mindset, and there are some are really solidly in the old mindset which is let's focus on the problem, let's come up with a solution, let's uh, you know, basically uh, backcast and come up with KPIs and boom, 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 and, and off we go. And you know, they're very skeptical if you can't give them that kind of security of I know what to do next. Right. right? It's, it's so, what's right? So you're asking people to step into the unknown. Uh, well, we are stepping into the unknown. I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking people to do that i'm saying we're being dragged into the unknown yeah you know i mean circumstances nobody now so if you were well i was planning my trip to new zealand and then i was going on to australia and we had it all planned out and i was going to talk here and i was going to talk there um on the assumption that life was predictable you know you could book flights and tours and rent rooms and uh, and then all of a sudden, everything is just uh, turned upside down, and it hasn't gone back to where it was ever since. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so yeah. that is our new reality: total uncertainty. You, you know, I mean, I used to talk that it's common now, but it wasn't when I started using the term VUCA. You know, voluntary uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Um, that that came out of the American military in the nineties. It's only just now being used, but um, we're living it. There is nothing certain anymore. And the sooner we accept that, perhaps, and and think about how we need to do things differently. I mean, I know you've talked about living systems being 
much more able to respond to crises or impacts versus this mechanical model or this industrial model of how we've been operating. In the longer run, yeah. I mean, but the reality is you've really got to look in your own garden or your own houseplants to realise that they can't always respond well. If, you know, if you keep the heating on and don't water it, the plant will die. <laughs> you know, so it isn't like it's isn't like living systems are just naturally going to survive. You know, you they, they are constantly adjusting to their environment, you know. But they have that built-in long-term the system, the, the living system is designed in such an intricate way that that life will continue. I mean, I'm not when people say I'm gonna are you gonna save the planet? I say, no, the planet will save itself. This planet could be 20 degrees hotter than it is now, and it will still be a living planet. Even Mars, probably, we're going to discover there's life in there somewhere. Whether or not it's habitable for the kind of life that we would like to experience is the issue. And until we understand that, you know, that, that life will go on, it's, it, and we're like, you know, we're, what are we, something like 70% microbes and bacteria? And, and they've been running the planet since day one. So they just look at us as, I think it was um, Lynn Margulis who said this, we're just scaffolding, you know, <laughs> that they can build their empires on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we happen to have legs to walk around and think we're terribly important, but actually we're not running the show at all. Oh, that's <laughs> no, it's great. great. I love it. And that's I love great. that reminder that we're just blips in the history mm. of the Earth, such a tiny part of that history, but have become so important in the way that the planet is being affected at the moment. Mm. This is what I love about this stuff, is that on the one hand, historically, we're blips. But on the other hand, evolutionarily speaking, we're pretty special. <laughs> you know, we are, the, we are the very sharp end of evolution. And there is this, this is getting, you know, this is off tourism. We're now getting dangerously into metaphysics. <laughs> but, um, but it is important because, first of all, regeneration is about there's a reason that the, the two letters R, E are in front of regeneration, because it's not new. We think it's new in the Western world because we've forgotten a lot of stuff and we're just rediscovering it. In the indigenous world, it's ancient knowledge and it's been there from day one. They've just protected it. That's why I'm excited about New Zealand, because you've got the chance to bring these two perspectives together. So uh, it's a very old, it's a very ancient uh, way of, of, of seeing things. But it, this modern science is now finally waking up to the fact that what the indigenous people have always known is that we have a special role as human beings in, in the evolution of life on the planet. And that is to take care of it because we're making conscious choices. So, we, you know, you can talk about the wolves and the, you know, being the key, keystone species and you put wolves back in the Yellowstone and everything gets back and restored. That's fantastic. But the wolves aren't going in there with a 10-point plan about how they're going to restore Yellowstone. And they're not thinking about it. They're doing their wolf thing. And that's not to deny their intelligence in any way, shape, or form. But we have that self. We are, we are aware. So where I'm going with this is that every one of us actually makes a difference. And, and to really own that, that, you know, you're, you, what you're saying, what you're thinking, what you're doing, how you're spending your life, how you're whatever matters, is the complete antithesis of what we've been spent the last 200, 300 years telling ourselves, which is we're insignificant and it's a harsh world and it's you against everyone else. 
So, you know, you come back to tourism and, and, and you start to say, well, um, it's a living system in which I play a part. And, and so what regeneration is all about is saying, well, you know, first of all, you have to have done some personal work on it. You know, you have to understand yourself a bit and you have to have made some conscious choices about I, you know, I want to learn, I want to contribute. And if you don't, if you, you know, none of that's of any interest, perhaps it's not for you right now. It is a process. It's not just a, an, you know, a checklist or an answer sheet. It's an absolute process that we all have to go through to see who yeah. am I in this place and what does this mean? Absolutely right, Debbie. And uh, and and it, it you know start it's starting with the questions. That's that's the thing. It's, you know, I was listening to someone talk about you know new form of leadership, and it, it's not being visionary and saying I can see the future, brothers. You know, follow me. It's uh, uh, willing to stand up, especially if you you're in a position of authority, uh, like a CEO or the head of a destination or whatever, and saying. Um, I can see all this happening around me and I can see that we can't stay where we are, but where can we go? And I actually ask the question and engage people in thinking about it. It's not then a talk fest. It's, you know, how are we going to get through this together? So asking questions is actually one of the most important things we can do. That's perfect, Anna, because we'd really like to ask you about your work in Flanders, and I think that's an example of that, right, as a community coming together under perhaps some some inspiring leadership, but creating a vision of what they want for their future and for their tourism industry, but much bigger than that, about what they want for their community and their place. Yeah, yeah. It, it, wasn't, it was just a natural segue into actually Flanders, I suppose. Well, it was serendipitous to be invited to speak at Flanders, and, but again, we talk a lot in the in the Back to Life course about creating fertile conditions for something to emerge, right? So the fertile conditions were that Flanders was this, you know, small half country. It's half of Belgium. Most people don't know where Flanders is. <laughs> I'll admit I don't. <laughs> no, exactly. So the, the Flanders are the Dutch speaking and the Wallonia in the south are the French. And they don't talk to each other much either, which is a shame. But anyway... Um, also, it's tucked between the French-speaking part of Belgium and and the Dutch uh, Netherlands to the north, which were experiencing pretty chronic overtourism. Amsterdam was, was swamped. It was highly successful. And so the folks in Flanders who have some absolutely beautiful cities like Ghent and Antwerp and, and so on were, you know, looking somewhat cautiously you know, saying, is this what we want? And uh, they had a CEO, Peter DeWilds, who was, is a very f- reflective person. And, and so he's, well, what happened was he, he uh, said, I've got to get my guys thinking. And he asked uh, one of his uh, colleagues, Elke, if she knew of anyone that could come and be provocative. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's 15 years since Elke and I had seen each other. But anyway, she we got in contact and she said, could you come over and be provocative? So, <laughs> What a bold step for a leader to take. Yeah, because he didn't know the answers. And to his credit, he said, I need to, to sort of stir the pot a bit here. Um, but I'm prepared to say I don't know. I'm asking questions and it's okay to ask questions. So that's how it started. And I never introduced the word regeneration. We just said, well, I was excited about all the stuff that was coming out about how trees, you know, communicate with one another and, and use the, the metaphor of the forest and, and said, well, just supposing 
we acted like a forest and not like a, a conveyor belt. That's where it started for me and introduced the idea that do you really want to keep on growing? Because if you do, you're going to end up like Amsterdam. Well, of course, they didn't want that. So what's the alternative? But if you're a living system, you know, you don't keep growing forever. <laughs> Thankfully, our children don't keep growing forever. Otherwise, we couldn't, you know, afford the tube bill or something. But we do mature. And what does maturity look like? What, is, what does it look like? What does success look like is the question that we, we started to ask. And, and this word flourishing just seemed the right one. But it's just a natural for, for a, living, a living being. Um, so we introduced that. And that meant if, you, if you're going to flourish, you can't flourish as a plant on your own. You have to flourish in a garden or in a forest. There, you know, you depend on all these other things. And so that, you know, that metaphor, well, we just allowed it to just, I was going to say, allowed it to just ripple through and see how what people made of it. And that, they came up with the idea of the linden tree, and uh, which you've probably seen the images of. That was all just from the group, you know. From the community coming together, right? That's it. I mean, they're, they're a very urban population, but they still have communities. They have a lot of little villages, you know, as well as fairly large towns. When I say they're urban, they're densely populated, but they're still tied a bit to the land. So they, they responded very well to an organic metaphor. And uh, it just grew from there, to be frank. So that led to, we created the, um, what they call Prof Tunin, which are like, I think it's translated into experimental gardens or something. It's kind of like allotments. <laughs> and so we did uh, explore this idea over a sort of six-month period with three or four different types of community. So that's how that got going. And that's what we're really, in a sense, trying to do in New Zealand in a very different setting, a different cultural setting with the regions and so on. And um, what's different about it is, again, you, you create the, you convene these conversations, you bring people together or they bring themselves together to, to explore some questions. And the ideal question is really, you know, what do you wish for this place? Or what does this wish, what do you sense this place wants to become? I mean, that's an even deeper question. Because then you're assuming this place has an identity of its own, which it does. You know, what does it want to become? Because as, as living systems, we all want to become something. We're not prepared to just stay the same. It's, it's built into life that we're not human beings, we're human becomings, yeah? Yep. So this notion of what do you want this community to become, how would you like your grandchildren to experience it, those were the kind of questions that, that brought people together. And those are the kind of questions that you've been asking as well in your work with Bay Plenty Tourism in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Even, um, prior, even prior to this online course, we know that you've done some work there and, and that they as a region um, are really leading the way in New Zealand, I believe, in the work. That well, and that's very much, you know, due to Kristen's leadership because she started reading and teaching herself an awful lot long before we met, you know, and, and by the time we met, you know, I felt that I would move heaven and earth to support someone that had the courage you know it, it, it's one thing to do this when it's popular right now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon that's easy it, it's a different story when no one knows what the hell you're talking about <laughs> and you have to have the belief in your your convictions but just going back to Flanders I mean the lovely thing about Flanders is that, that they're now it's taken on its own momentum 
they created this program called Travel to Tomorrow. And so it, it yeah, it's, it's continuing in their own way. And that's the most important thing. It's theirs. You know, it's not something that they've taken off the shelf now. They're making it every day. And that's really exciting, right, for it to take on a life of its own and to carry on beyond the targeted work that you've done there. And it's, I guess that's what we're hoping for New Zealand as well. You know, I think, again, one of the key features of regeneration is allowing things to happen, not having a 10-point plan, but saying having an intent and paying attention and then um, really staying true to yourself and the, and the situation you're in and being, but not always knowing which way it's going to go, but maximizing or optimizing the, the communication and the sharing, but having the courage to allow something to emerge from that. Um, that's very difficult for us to learn when you've been so imbued in, I must take control, we must have a plan, we have to stick to it, we have to measure it every single way. So the best example you have right now that I'm aware of and, and came up last week, last month was, was wow, the, the community that Monique and, yeah. and Mandy and those, those guys, um, uh, well, actually, all those women. I mean, it's, it's not surprising because this is a very feminine kind of way of doing things. Mandy's going to be a guest on the show. Oh, and fantastic. We'll hear in detail all about WOW, which is really exciting. So there are yeah. some examples absolutely in New Zealand of this happening already, which is great. Oh, I think there are plenty of examples in New Zealand that you can draw upon. And again, the, the, the Maori culture, they live this stuff. That's why I really, I've, put all the energy into working with New Zealand because I believe that it's the one country where you have these two well-developed, distinct worldviews living side by side and trying to understand each other. And more importantly, beginning to fuse. And that is the way of the future. So you, we, it's not that one is right and one is wrong. Both are bringing um, something incredibly important to bear that together with respect for the individual identity, et cetera, um, it's going to be really powerful. And that's why New Zealand could pull it off, but only if that fusion takes place. And I think only if we create the space and the time for that coming together, for those conversations and yeah, for those yeah. questions, because we're so ingrained in this old model of, as you said, KPIs and timeframes and all of that, that's what we're used to doing. And so the, the perspective shift or the paradigm shift for all of us is to learn how to slow down, to have these conversations, to come together, ask questions mm. and, and figure out who we are and, and what we want and where we're going together and let that mm. emerge. Yeah. You're sowing seeds of ideas and, they would they germinate at the right time if you and then if you can cultivate that and, and listen to the language and you start to use this organic language if you can cultivate that um then more things can germinate mm. and i think that's what you, as a change catalyst you've you know you are you and michelle are the change catalysts that are starting this process for us mm. so i hope so for us mm. to be the ones that continue to create those fertile conditions. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully we can maintain connection. That's why we created the online community because we're doing some work, as you know, in Northern Ireland right now and, and we hope to put the Northern Ireland folks 
you know, in contact with you because they're also facing almost the same issues, you know, a large rural population, agricultural dominance, uh, the need to reduce car, all these things, a hugely rich uh, cultural tradition, very different, but, you know, so there are a lot of, you know, ways of exchanging ideas that could be highly generative. Yes, and even though they're from unique different parts of the world, in fact, I, it, it, without me seeming to contradict you, Debbie, I would say it's not even, though. It's because. <laughs> ah, you're right. Divergent parts. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the fact that it can be uniquely expressed, but the fundamentals, and this is the beautiful thing about regeneration um, or nature, is that the, the fundamental principles are quite few and they're generic. So they can affect whole countries, they can affect businesses, they, they structure how, how your house plant is operating. That's why if you grasp the principles and start to look for them in different aspects of your life, you'll realize how powerful they are. We know that this, this way of thinking doesn't have a, a how-to guide or a set answer, but what do you think that success of the Back to Life program or of the start of this movement in New Zealand looks like for our country? Mm. Well, I think um, the obvious first answer to that is that's something for you to shape, not for me to tell you. Um, I've alluded to the fact that I would love to see this this ideally, this this coming together, this real uh, mutual respect and, and it all of the, the great things that can happen when you get two different cultures coming together. I'd like to see people taking a lot more communities everywhere, having the opportunity to shape their own destiny. We've just come out of 10 years of centralization and globalization. So every, every trend has its opposite and we're inevitably, the pendulum is going to swing. But the only way we're going to survive and thrive on planet earth is if we start to live in harmony with nature live according to her limits live according to her rules and the only way we can do that is in community in places so my vision for new zealand is that it's an incredibly vibrant strong country beautiful country as it is but it's got all of these different parts of new zealand that are are thriving but expressing themselves differently and so you could could exist if you had to on a on a domestic market, tourism wise, if you absolutely had to. And that would be my strategy. How do we build a robust, resilient visitor economy, redefining maybe what hospitality is, making it a lot more inclusive than it is at the moment. Right now, everything is transactional. So you can either afford it or you can't afford it. But if we started to see it as playing a much bigger role in, in our health, our social and, and mental and emotional and spiritual health, nature's health, then again, it, it, the emphasis would not be on the almighty dollar or just the transaction. It would be much richer than that. That's a big dream, I know, but I, I, it could. It can happen over time. And, uh, in fact, I, I would go one step further and say I think that's what we're being asked to discover as human beings on planet Earth right now. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did with Anna Pollock. And part of what we're hoping to do in this podcast is to slow ourselves down a little bit and 
be reflective on some of the points that our guests make and to have further conversation about that. So Josie, tell me a little bit about what some of your thinking is now you've had a little bit of time to reflect on some of the things that Anna talked about. Yeah, thanks, Debbie. I think what really resonated for me was this idea of systems change and the fact that when we're talking about regenerative tourism, we're not just talking about upgrading sustainability. And I think that's a lot of the time, that's the first thing that people think when they hear the term. Anna really highlighted the importance of this idea that we can't fix these enormous problems that we're facing with the same type of thinking that we created them with. So she talked about how the common model right now is to find the problem and then kind of backcast until you find the solution. But that systems change requires us to think completely differently, you know, to start with, instead start with an idea like, how might we create a flourishing living community in this place, in our place? And then moving forwards from, from a question like that. This is partly why regenerative tourism is such a big paradigm shift and also why it's so difficult to get your head around initially and difficult to explain. So I guess my my offering for our listeners, and perhaps it's a challenge actually, mm-hmm. is for our listeners to take a step back and think about the interconnectedness of everything that you do, to, to ask yourself questions like, how will my decisions serve the vision of a flourishing environment and a flourishing community in my place? So yeah, that would be my my offering. Thanks for sharing that. And that ties in quite well with what I've been thinking too uh, since we chatted with Anna. She talked about the CEO of Flanders and also Kristen Dunn from Bay of Plenty as being leaders who, you know, before this was popular, right, really wanted to do things differently. The CEO of Flanders actually inviting her in to be provocative or to shake things up because he knew that things weren't going well the way they were. And he wanted to find a new way forward, but he didn't have the answers. And I think for leaders, any of us, whether we're business leaders or perhaps leaders of RTOs, our regional tourism organizations, this is quite daunting to think about calling a team together or a group of people together or the community together and to sit down and have these conversations when we don't really have a path set out. But that is exactly part of this process of being regenerative, is to bring people together, despite not necessarily having a roadmap, but to create that roadmap together. Thanks, Debbie. So uh, I hope that listeners have enjoyed listening to this episode of Good Awaits. Uh, We've certainly enjoyed beginning this journey with you. And thanks again to Anna Pollock for joining us and for sparking a lot of deep thinking. Yes. If this has resonated with you or you feel called to get involved, then please do get in touch with us. We would really love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your takeaways or what's inspired you and what you feel called to do, right, as a result of this conversation. So you can get in touch with us via our website, goodawaits.podbean.com or on Instagram and Facebook at goodawaits. Our episodes will be out every Wednesday morning, New Zealand time. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and please do subscribe on your podcast app because that way you'll get a notification every time our episodes come out. And if you would like to leave us a review, we would really love to receive your feedback. We want to thank our teams at both New Zealand Awaits and Good Travel. Also, especially to Erin Carnes for our graphics design, to Clary Macklin for our wonderful music and production of our episodes, and also thanks to Impact Hub Waikato for your support in this project. And I'd also like to say thank you to you, Debbie, for 
joining me on this first episode and it's it's been a real privilege to work with you on on this so far I'm ditto I'm loving it too JC we're having fun and you are putting in hours and hours uh editing each episode so thank you so much for that time and energy Thanks to everyone for listening to Good Awaits. It's great to have you join us as we harvest the stories of our regenerative tourism journey in New Zealand. 